0: You're listening to Eddie Edster's Launchpad, the monthly podcast from Dogsthorpe Infant School. Part of the Hampton Academies Trust, it's the school where stars go to dream, believe, and shine.
1: This is your captain speaking. We've been cleared for departure.
0: Welcome to Launchpad, the Dogsthorpe Infant School podcast for parents, children, teachers and schools. We have some great guests lined up, so sit back and enjoy the show. For our very first guest, we're going all the way to Liverpool and we're going to meet Jude Lennon. Jude, it's lovely to have you on the show.
2: It's lovely to be here, thank you so much for asking me. First of all, I have to say, I used to be a teacher and I used to teach nursery reception in year one mostly. And the whole time that I was teaching, I was writing for the children in my class, like many teachers always busy doing lots of things. And then when I left teaching, I set up a storytelling business Called Little Lamb Tales. So I've got some mascots who you won't be able to see, but they're very cute um, Lammy and Flossie. And then they feature in some of my books. So, what I do most of the time is I spend my time going around schools and giving author talks and talking to children and teachers and grown ups about what it's like to be an author and what my day as an author looks like. I also do storytelling sessions for schools and festivals and events and when I talk talk storytelling I don't read from a book I tell the stories from my memory. I've got a wonderful memory for stories I can't remember where my keys are half the time but that's different parts of your brain and as Mary Poppins says you can only be practically perfect and that's a good thing to remember in life. So yes I do storytelling at schools, festivals and events, author talks, I also do creative writing workshops, drama workshops, I've done a little bit of insect training with uh, grown-ups and teachers and I've done a little bit of work with Liverpool Hope University training new would-be teachers and I'm also heavily involved with lots of other things all to do with books and reading including the Liverpool Year of Writing which will then become the Liverpool uh, Year of Spoken Word and also with Build a Book which is a wonderful initiative I've set up with a friend of mine and we get literacy boxes and resources out to children
0: across the Liverpool area. And you you travel all the way around in your camper van. If there are schools listening who want to book Jude, we'll get on to how you can get in touch with her in a little while. What are the sorts of books have you written and what, what do you offer our schools that are listening? Well, the very first book I did was called The Dragon of
2: Allerton Oak, and that's set in my local park around the corner. And like many authors, I'm inspired by what I see around me. And I was inspired by a walk past the tree one day. It's a very, very old tree. It was actually voted the UK tree of the year in 2019. And it's very old, hundreds of years old. And legend has it is where they used to gather together to sort out problems in the community, sort of a bit like a, a sort of a help tree. Um, and then it was it's very damaged and it's held up. It looks all gnarled and really Really spooky and great, and really inspirational. And so that was the first book, really, and that's not written in rhyme. But most of my children's books are written in rhyme. I like to write in rhyme. I love uh, Julia Donaldson. I suppose she's a bit of a an inspiration, really. And so most of my books are written in rhyme. A lot of them feature Lammy and Flossie, my storytelling mascots. Um, But I also have written a few that have got really important messages. I wrote um, one called That's Our Home, which is all about keeping the beaches clean. And that's something I'm really passionate about, about us tidying up after ourselves and keeping the the planet green and clean for everybody because we all share it. So it's up to us to look after it for everybody and all the animals who live on it as well. So, yes, so that's um. Some of the books, I've also collaborated with a young man called Will Hawkes. Um, Will is autistic and he really wanted us to write books um, that would appeal to people like him. He'd never seen books with children like him in it when he was learning to read. So he was really quite um, clear about what he wanted. He wanted the chapters to be short. He didn't want words to be too long or confusing. He wanted there to be the main character who was autistic. And so we worked on that together. So we've written two chapter books on that and he's done the illustrations. So that's been wonderful because now Will has gone on, he's been commissioned to do artwork for other people and he's at college and he's speaking in front of rooms of people now, which is something he just never did. It's been a real wonderful experience for him. I'm so proud of that. I really am really proud of it. Um, I'm also really proud of the, the slowdown for Bobby books which I've written as a local charity which was set up very sadly after a young boy was killed outside his primary school and his mum and dad asked me to write books to raise awareness for road safety. So I like to write in rhyme I love if I can get a message an important message in my writing I like to do that too but I also just like to let my imagination run free and I think that's really important so I can offer schools lots of things as I said you know author visits talks and um, creative writing workshops drama workshops and I think they're all so important speaking and reading and writing are so linked and they're so important and they're so vital I truly believe that books open the pages of the world for everybody.
0: If people want to see the sorts of books that you write um, and what you offer, uh, have you got a website that they can have a look at?
2: I certainly have. It is littlelampublishing.co.uk and everything is on there. All my courses, I do writing courses for adults as well. So literally everything is on there. Schoolwork, storytelling, Courses, everything, books—they're all on there. all so that's the go-to place, really. So I do have a YouTube channel as well. Um, that's Little Lamb Tales, and there's also a new, new YouTube channel which I'm part of as well, which is called Talk Kids, but it's spelled T-A-U-K Kids, and that stands for Team Author UK Kids. So those are the three main places, but definitely the websites by far the the best place to go to. It's, it, it can from there you can go to anywhere. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Our next guest on Launchpad is Mrs. Marks.
3: I've worked across the city at four different schools. Um, I've been a class teacher, Key Stage One team leader, assistant head, and and then for five years I was deputy at Dog Soap, Infants, which was brilliant. Um, but more recently, I've been appointed as primary director of Teach East, um, and that's where wow. I help to train student teachers to gain their qualified teacher status. Um, but I'm also fortunate enough to have remained at Dogs Thought for two days a week, um, supporting teaching in year one and leading English and phonics.
0: Could you just explain for our listeners what exactly is phonics?
3: Um, so, obviously, it's really important for children um, to learn letter sound relationships. Um, because English uses letters in the alphabet to represent the the different sounds. Um, So phonics teaches this information, and it helps children learn how to read. Um, So children will be taught two really important things um, when they're learning to read with phonics. Number one, how, how, how sounds are represented by written letters. So the sounds we call phonemes, and the letters we call graphemes. For example they'll be taught that the letter M represents a mm sound and then they also get um, taught how to sound, sounds can be blended together to make words. So for example, they'll be taught k- at blend together to make the word cat. So children are taught to read letters or groups of letters saying the sounds that they represent and then they put them together for blending I mean, obviously, um, there are other skills involved in reading as well. And it's, um, it's about developing that word recognition alongside their comprehension. Um, you know, we want children to have a love of reading, but phonics is really where it all starts, you know, to make it accessible for them and to build up that fluency once they become more familiar with different sound patterns um, and So it becomes more fluent and they have what we call automaticity. They're able to look at words uh, without having to blend them eventually because they know all the sounds um, and that's where fluency develops.
0: Do you then monitor the children's progress all the way through dogs infants with their phonics or is it just for early years?
3: We're an infant school, so obviously it starts down in the early years and before that in preschool actually when they're looking at environmental sounds in phase one and learning rhymes and alliteration and all those lovely skills. Um, So it starts in EYFS and we do half half termly assessments where we look at children's uh, knowledge of sounds and their application of blending them for reading. Um, And they're grouped according to their ability um, and their confidence with those sounds. Um, And we teach daily discrete sessions for phonics at school. Um, But then alongside that, we also make sure our reading sessions match what what they're learning in phonics as well. So they've got that application of phonics as well into reading. And it's purposeful. It's not just isolated in that one subject, but... um, you know, kind of cascaded throughout their learning opportunities. How can
0: parents help?
3: Children will experience the most success in reading when school and home work together. Um, So children learn about the importance of reading as they watch family members use reading and writing for everyday purposes. Reading for pleasure, sharing a story with your child, using a recipe or reading street signs teaches them that reading is a useful skill in today's world. Um, So reading with your child at home, it helps your child in all areas of school. Research shows the importance of reading on a daily basis, um, develops their use and understanding of vocabulary um, and their understanding of the meaning of words. So, working in partnership with us as a school, um, even if they read just 10 minutes a day, it could be at bedtime, it could be um, just after meal time, you know, that doesn't have to be a set time, but just make it a regular slot each day five to ten minutes each day. And I think practice makes permanence. You know, we don't say practice makes perfect. It's it's about we want these children to be secure in their sounds um, and that application daily by looking at phonetically decodable books at home um, and practicing those skills of blending is really, really important for them. That will build up their confidence and their fluency. Um, You know, we've got lots of resources um, on our school website, for instance. There's little videos that parents can watch. Um, There's videos to show you how to um, listen and how to pronounce the sounds in words Um, and even just individual phonemes and digraphs. There's lots of resources and suggested games they can play. We know parents are busy, and you know many of them work as well as raising their family, and and it's it's a juggling act, isn't it? But it's also a bonding opportunity, isn't it? That that I think it's quite precious that bedtime opportunity, you know, to share a book, and yeah. it can be done anywhere and everywhere. It doesn't just have to be a book, um, you know. It's just those daily discussions, playing with language, singing little nursery rhymes together, and songs. Um, you know, paying attention in the environment of the sound that the trees make and the, and the, the differentiating between the tweet of a bird and the, the honk of a bus, you know, um, those kind of things. It's um, just developing speaking and language opportunities as well so that children are coming to school um, with a rich vocabulary and understanding of, of, of the wider world.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Eddie Edster the Dogsthorpe Infant School Wellbeing Dog. This delightful Cavalier King Charles Spaniel offers hugs, paw shakes and high fives to help children of every age to dream, believe and shine. Our next guest on Launchpad is Chris Bass. He represents a fantastic resource that we use a lot at Dogsthorpe Infant School. It's the Class VR Goggles and uh, we use them on our learning journey bus and our children can go off Onto fantastic adventures, visiting castles, visiting different parts of the world, visiting the rainforests, going out to explore and to even dodge one or two dinosaurs. So, welcome to Launchpad, Chris.
1: Thank you so much, Dave. Pleasure to be here.
0: And um, could you tell our listeners, bearing in mind this is going out to parents and to other schools, can you tell us a little bit about what you offer in regard to Class VR?
1: What Class VR is is a virtual reality and augmented reality system that we have built from the ground up to support schools. Essentially what this is is a tool to help support students uh, with their resources to to, to give them experiences that otherwise would be completely impossible in the classroom. Virtual reality is when you you take a user and you put them into an environment that they otherwise are not in. So that's your classic VR headsets where you put a headset on and suddenly you're transported off to walk with dinosaurs. Um, Augmented reality, which we also support you look through the screen and it augments something over what's already there. Um, and that's another really powerful aspect of what Class VR does um, in that you can take 3D models, so high quality scans of, of pretty much anything in the world, send them out to the headsets and the students can hold these things in their hands. So this is anything from dinosaurs walking on the desk in front of you through to um, we actually have some users over at Oxford University and they use it to study uh, Roman artefacts. So they've got these high-quality scans from various museums around the world, and they can hold these artifacts in their hands and actually look at them. Um, so there's a huge amount of power uh, behind the headsets, um, all built into a really, really Simple package um, that, as I'm sure your teachers that have used it will, will attest to, it, it's a very simple process. You give the headsets out to the students, they work completely wirelessly, put them on, and, and off you go. We currently stand at about 1,100 different resources uh, that we offer, whether those are the augmented reality models I talked about just now, or photos, or videos, or explorable scenes. Um, and it's a huge range. So, because all of the staff that work in my team are ex-teachers um, we all have that kind of classroom experience of the kind of things that teachers actually want to go and see so there's very little that's uh, in any way gimmicky or uh, sort of like you know roller coaster rides and that sort of thing it's it's all very educational so as you said there's things like castles things like dinosaurs For me my real passion project is the impossible stuff it's um, walking on the surface of the moon it's going back in time uh, visiting different historical periods uh, my, some of my most, uh, most popular ones we've done lately have been um, sort of miniaturization work, so shrinking yourself down to, to go and explore inside cells or have a look at inside a human heart and things like that. So it's a, an enormous range. Uh, and one of the things that I really love about the way that we work is that we spend a lot of time interacting with our teachers, um, with our users, and taking ideas about what it is that they want to see um you know we're a we're a pretty small uh, small team here so having input from our users is invaluable and that's where we get a lot of our ideas from as to what to make next um and how to feed it in but uh, yeah so for me imp- it's the impossible it's doing the impossible is, is what i love
0: if schools are listening to this and they've it's whetted their appetite have you got a website or somewhere that they can go to have a look at what you offer
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's, uh, you can visit classvr.com, a nice simple one there. Um, you can drop us an email um, at uh, sales at classvr.com. That will come through to, uh, to my colleague, Danny, who sits just around the corner from me. Um, and if anyone's, you know, picked up interest through listening to the podcast, then by all means, mention the, mention the name of the podcast, um, drop the, the, the Dogstorp name in there, and uh, we'll know where uh, where we heard your name from.
0: It's time to dream, believe and shine. Here's Wendy White, the creator of My Mood Stars.
4: My fellow childminders and I were struggling with resources to find online that were affordable and appropriate. So we couldn't find anything. So I thought, well, I'm going to start by sewing some little felt stars different emotions like happy and sad and surprised, shocked, angry. Um, and what I did is I got some felt, different colours, yellow and red, and I uh, made the stars, put the expressions on them, stuffed them with that um, synthetic stuffing stuff, and uh, sold them to my other uh, two fellow childminders who absolutely loved them use them in their story facts and in um, circle time and that sort of thing to really help the children talk about and communicate and share their feelings with each other. And um, they got back to me. The feedback was that Ofsted absolutely loved them. And so more and more childminders were using the mood stars to implement and evidence, um, PSED, Personal, Social and Emotional Development, um, to their Ofsted inspectors. So it was, it was really good until after about a year of sewing, my thumbs gave up and I got arthritis and I had to stop sewing. So my Ofsted inspector came to see me in 2016. And he saw these um, mood stars, is what I started to call them, um, in the playroom and asked what they were and I told him what I just told you. And he said, you know, there's a market for something like this. Um, have you thought about marketing them? Well, well I had not and, and he said, do, do you know anything about autism? And I said, not really, no. So he said, look into it. Look into marketing. Them because he knew I told him that I was just about to retire, and he said, you know, he, he really suggested strongly that there was a, a huge market for a, a soft sensory resource, and I knew that as well because I couldn't find one online. So I took him up on it and got in touch with um, a toy manufacturer who designed the stars for me. I didn't want them different colored. I, so I chose yellow, and when um, he, co- he he brought them back to the, from the factory to me and sent me the prototypes, they were just lush, and I absolutely fell in love with them all over again. They were perfect. And so that gave me the confidence, really, to start marketing them. So as you know, I, I started out on Twitter, which is a favorite platform of mine, and then Facebook and LinkedIn and Pinterest, Instagram and I got them out there to childminders, nurses, your your own school. Um, Kim um, and Lisa got in touch with me and uh, asked for a set of my mood stuff. So they were becoming really, really popular with childminders, um, codes. So what I did, Dave, that year um, before I started marketing, I researched about um, autism and the different stages of autism and the different areas of autism that go uh, across the spectrum. Um, and surprisingly, um, what happened when I left my mum in 2019, so year before last, when she died, I was looking through her um, effects and came across my twin brother's I lost my twin brother at 21. And looking through his effects and his diaries and his school reports, it was clear that he he had um, he, he was very high up on the autism spectrum. So it was, um, it, 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 was um, it felt good actually for me to be able to help children like my brother who didn't get any help back then in, in the fifties and 60s.
0: How do you actually? Use my mood stars.
4: Right. Well, the mood stars are uh, plush, child sized uh, toys, I call them. I like to call them toys, but I kind of like market them as um, a highly effective resource, uh, cunningly disguised as toys. So um, the eight stars can be used on their own in... Story facts, like, uh, like like I said, with the with the first um, batch of mood stars, they also um come with a my mood stars board onto which they can stick on and off. The back of the mood stars are a, a fabric called trico, which is velcro receptive. So if you imagine those round sticky dots of uh, the scratchy velcro, they are very effective is um, at circle time, for example. If um, teachers do circle time or they can spend 10 minutes with their children in the morning talking about feelings, the the feelings are shy and sad, uh, surprised, happy, uh, sleepy, um, uh, shocked, angry, and silly. Silly, I put silly in because he's used as a, a bit of an icebreaker. Um, I say he I'm just using that to, um, to, to generalise but generally I, I don't like to give them a, a gender, they're, they're non-gender specific, non-age specific and non-cultural specific So and, and so I didn't want any distraction at all from the expressions on the staff faces and because their child has eyes and squidgy and soft um, teachers have told me and I've seen it myself, how children use the stuff by squeezing them and it almost helps their dialogue. The thing is about communication, Dave, is that the children want to share with the, with the mood stars how they're feeling. So they're not only just talking about their own emotions at circle time, they're talking about each other's emotions and this really helps develop empathy.
0: And if obviously we've we've whetted the appetites of the people who are listening, hopefully, and where can other people go to have a look at your resources and hopefully purchase my mood The
4: mood stars are available um, to 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 look at and purchase at www um, www.mymoodstars.co.uk uk. Um. And uh, listeners can also follow me and have a look at what I do and the other side of wendy woo i'm 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 quite um I'm quite a wacky wendy Wu. <laughs> so it's uh, so it's it's uh, not all doom and gloom. i I try and inject a lot of fun into into my um facebook pages yeah. so so on Facebook I'm my mood stars and on Twitter I'm my mood stars. On Instagram I'm My Mood Stars forty one because can you believe somebody actually had my mood stars on Instagram and I wasn't allowed to use it wow. so wow. I'm my mood stars forty one on Instagram?
0: Our next guest on launchpad is Miss Stamper, who works at the school. Miss Stamper, what is your role? At Dogsthorpe Infant School.
5: And my role at Dogsthorpe Infant School is I'm a higher level teaching assistant and I also support Forest School learning in in, in school. Forest School is um, an outdoor educational learning model in which pupils can visit an outside natural space, which we're very lucky at Dogsthorpe Infant School. We have our own natural outdoor space on our school field and we learn personal and social development and lots of different ranges of new skills. And this enables the learner to develop confidence and self-esteem again in the natural environment. The original idea of Forest School comes from Denmark and was started in the 1950s because of the lack of outdoor um, space for education. But it arrived in Britain in the early 1990s and was introduced to the UK by a group of nursery nurses, which I'm really proud of because I used to be a nursery nurse before I came to Dogstalk Infant School. And it was introduced by a place called Bridgewater College um, after visiting um, a Danish forest school. And Bridgewater College still train forest school people now, and they trained myself and Mrs Jordan five years ago.
0: So you've got a special area to do of forest schools outside, have you, at Dogsthorpe Infants? Yes, we
5: have. Um, we're very lucky. It's fenced off and it's got different areas in it. It's got a shed where all of the equipment for forest school is um, kept. And then we have a fire circle, which has been created by using logs, which was very kindly donated by the Wildlife Trust from Long Fort Woods, oh, yeah. uh, which I collected myself. And then we have a teaching area with a blackboard and the children sit and that's where they can do um, the activities that are set for them. Each class has the opportunity to experience a whole day at Forest School at different times through the academic year. Well, eh? So a typical lesson consists of an introduction of our Forest School rules. Um, and they're just basic rules just to keep the children safe. And then an activity that is always 80% achievable, but 20% challenging, which is always linked to the curriculum. And then we create, um, to end our forest school session, and the children absolutely love it and it's amazing. We create the fire for our Kelly kettle, following the stay safe guidelines set by the forest school. Um, and we enjoy hot chocolate or water or juice with a biscuit, and we always share a story at the end, because reading at Dogstall Pimpson School is extremely important. Um, A typical learning activity, as I said, is always linked to the curriculum. So, for example, the children will be thinking about time travelling next half term and castles, so we are going to create our own bow and arrows and practice firing them at targets. All activities are planned to be engaging, challenging, and achievable for all our little stars to participate in. And the children get the opportunity as well to use just different tools such as a bow saw, palm drills, um, and they're taught to keep these tools and um, to use the tools safely.
0: There's nothing better, is there, than get the experience of what life was like back in Robin Hood's day to sit around a campfire, have a nice hot chocolate, listen to a story and then build your own bow and arrow. That's incredible. Miss Stampert, thank you for your time today. It's really interesting to hear about what goes on at Forest Schools. If there are other schools that need to know a little bit more about Forest Schools or what you do and what you offer, where could they go? Could they get in touch with you at the school or is there a website or something?
5: So we're very lucky that on our school website, if you're at the bottom, there is a dedicated page to Forest School and there are lots of different activities on there that children can do. Um, I've also done some videos that demonstrate some activities. Um, and um, every half term I try and put the write-up and some photos of the children at Forest School, so please do have a look. But if you would like to know more, the forestschoolassociation.org is a very good website with lots of information, and also Forest England have lots of information and places you can visit and activities you can do. The Wildlife Trust, also have some wonderful activities and information. And also there is a Peterborough-based charity called Peterborough Environment City Trust, Pets, and they are always putting new and exciting activities to be doing in the outdoor environment and information about how you can get involved in being outside.
0: Sadly, another Launchpad episode has come to an end. Captain Dave and Eddie will be back again soon for another learning journey on the Dogsthorpe Infant School Launchpad.
5: Goodbye. Commence system shutdown.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Eddie Edster, the Dogsthorpe Infant School wellbeing dog. This delightful Cavalier King Charles Spaniel offers hugs, paw shakes and high fives to help children of every age to dream, believe and
4: shine.